Hey, welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. I'm your host, Roland Smith. Glad you could join us this week here with uh, Alan Bradford from Tennessee. How's it going, Alan? It's going well. Good to be with you guys. I can I can see on my Zoom screen that it looks really pretty in Tennessee right now. It is it is sunny out, but it is like in the 40s and 50s, which is oh, weird okay. for us for the beginning of April. But yeah, it is what it is. Terrible, not terrible at all. Terry, how's Austin, man? It is uh, a little gray skyed and kind of rainy, and you know, 50s. But, yeah, yeah. I, I think you guys have the same. Uh, cloud band that we do when I saw on the weather it was like this huge weather front moving through and Austin will usually share Colorado Springs at some point you know whatever we're getting so anyway good to be with you guys uh, man some strange times we are living in we had our Forge America national team call this morning and that was very different and I'm sure you guys in your church communities and contexts and coaching calls everything is just really um, really strange right now i mean we're all trying to figure out how to have community without touching each other or, or being in the same room even you know and, i don't know uh, what kind of community you partake in yeah. Roland. oh hey we we hug yeah we like we like to hug and everything else and yeah i actually think when this thing is all said and done like America is going to be the most hugging place in the world. Like people are just going to want to touch other people, you know? So I think, uh, I think actually what's going to happen is your extroverts are going to like go crazy and just be like <laughs> hugging everybody. And introverts are going to be like, this was kind of nice. Could you just like stay back over there? Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's going to be a whole nother civil war. It's going to be the huggers yeah. and the non-huggers who just want to like, that could get be. At it. That could be. So, yeah, just, I mean, I, this, the episode today, uh, we're going to talk with Brad Briscoe, who, um, you know, this is going to be a great time to, to kind of launch this interview that we had with him because Brad's, he's currently the director of bivocational church planting uh, for North American Mission Board, or, or is he's going to um, tell us co-vocational church planting is what he likes to say. Uh, he's got a doctorate in missional ecclesiology. He's on the board for Forge and uh, is well known in coaching uh, church planting and uh, thinking around church and ecclesiology. He and his wife, um, they've affected the lives through foster care and adoption of over like 50 kids. And I know they recently moved down to St. Petersburg to be close to Tampa Underground and kind of work with them. So uh, this is going to be a great time to have this uh, interview uh, air with Brad uh, as we're thinking about ecclesiology in our churches as well. Um, so, so just give us a brief on what you guys are experiencing and hearing. And I know everyone's trying to figure out uh, kind of a new normal um, for church events and Sunday morning and Bible studies and youth group and all these kinds of things, we've been forced outside the walls of the church. Um, and I'm not so sure that's a bad thing, but it's a real uncomfortable thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely uncomfortable. So, so yeah, what mean, are you guys hearing, like in your in your tribes, in your own church context, or people you're coaching? I mean, for us uh, here in Knoxville, uh, we were a church that actually we didn't own a building anyhow. Um, so we met in two different locations that we rented. And that was kind of the way we wanted to set it up. We never wanted to own 
uh, a building and and do that which again it's not about right wrong good bad about owning a building we just said for us and how we're doing it and we didn't want to you know spend money that way um and so it's kind of interesting to navigate this and say all the stuff we've been talking about for we've been a, been around for 13 years we're still about that we're still about it's not about sunday it's not about you know just coming together coming together is important. Like the worship gathering, I still believe is very important, especially when you look at it through the lens of, um, of mission. Um, and especially when you think about, you know, Hey, what's it like to be out there as a missionary in my context? I, I, I want to lean back in on the, the people that I'm in community with that are doing this with me. Uh, but it's all about, Hey, where's God calling you to? How are you, um, living incarnationally in your context. And so for us, this has just made it much more known. Um, it's just made it much more in the forefront. We're like, hey, this is um, this is what we've been talking about. Like doing what you're doing now is, is kind of like, this is what we've been talking about for a long time. Now, I do think when we actually are able to gather again, which I hope is going to be sooner rather than later, uh, it'll make it that much more sweeter, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe we won't take it for such the, I don't know. It could become routine. It could become rote. Uh, it could be just, uh, I just got to do this again on Sunday, especially as pastors. You're like, uh, here we go. I got to do this, but I think it is going to make it that much sweeter. Yeah. What about you, Terry? I know you coach a lot of smaller uh, missional community type groups, but you're also connected to some church relationships. What are you, what are you hearing or feeling? Yeah, it's been scattered. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of different things and people with a lot of different focuses and, and kind of leanings uh, towards really the unknown because we, we just, at this point, we just don't know what's coming. I mean, there are people who are making some, some, some educated guesses at what's coming. And so uh, I, I have some churches that we are working with who are, that are still trying to figure out the, um, the online thing. You know, they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, hey, how do we, how do we do the Sunday morning thing? And yeah. for them, that's, that's a crisis, yeah. um, which unfortunately is, is in, the, in the scale of things to come, I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, yeah. let's, let's figure out how to be community virtually, whatever that looks like. And so, uh, and then we do have some churches that are forward thinking, you know, mm-hmm. they're looking at in the weeks to come. I mean, today's April 2nd. And so, you know, everyone's saying, Mid-April, April 15th, April 16th is going to kind of be the day that uh, we really see some of the, the, the spikes and, and some of the deaths. And mm-hmm. so how the church responds to that. So we have some churches that are thinking that way, that are, are trying to figure that out. And at the same time, balance what they're already doing, you know, because, um, and I echo uh, everything that Alan said, that the gathering is important. I mean, it is important that God's people get together. and so. Uh, we have to we have to figure out how to balance that. We have to figure out how to mobilize our people. Um, to uh, it's funny, I've, I've actually this has caused me to change my language. And when I talk about equipping and mobilizing, for so long I've always said we need to mobilize God's people to be missionaries. And now it's like no, in this time we need to mobilize God's people to be pastors and missionaries. Like right. there there needs to be a shepherding pastoral piece of this. Uh, because the economic downfall, the health, and all of those things are those are those are real crises that are are pending, and how God's people responds to that will be it'll be a big deal. 
Yeah, because, I mean, even if we were able to start gathering again in church buildings, let's say June the 1st, uh, today they announced that unemployment claims were over 6 million this last week. So, I mean, there, you know, as someone that kind of came out of economics um, in my undergrad and, you know, working in the stock market and stuff early on in life, I mean, these, that kind of uh, downfall, even with stimulus packages and stuff, it's going to take a while to work out of that. I mean, we're going to see we're going to see some slow economic healing, probably you know, over a year or so. I mean, I'm you know, I'm not a you know, master economist or anything, but I mean, my experience is that you never can take a hit like that without some kind of residual on the back end or people are just going to be much, much more careful about their spending habits and all those kinds of things. And so, and you don't know, companies may not make it out of this. And so people still, you know, will be unemployed or, or whatever. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there could be a lot of uh, pastoral type things that we have to deal with, you know, in communities. Here, here's one thing I've, I'm wondering about, and I talked about this with, um, Mike Frost and Alan Hirsch in an earlier podcast um, a couple of weeks ago um, is one, I mean, first, let me say, yes, the church does need to gather. And I'm part of a bigger church that does gather on Sundays. And right now we're live streaming. So, yes, the people need to be able to come back to the church and gather and do worship and do teaching and do those kinds of things. Um but I wonder what kind of habits people are learning right now that when, when they're allowed to come back to church, do they, you know, do they say in a healthy kind of way, man, I really learned how to live into my neighborhood. Now I know my neighbors. And we got to know each other across the fence and we shared food together and we did all these things. And so all of a sudden you have people that realize um, what incarnational presence is, even if they don't know those words, you know what I mean? And so, and so they kind of come out of it saying, you know what? I didn't get to go to church for like eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And you know what? I'm, I'm still a Christian and I still believe in all that. Now that's not good news for institutions necessarily, but it's kind of a more kingdom posture, you know, in my mind. Yeah, no, I, and I, th- I think it actually can be good news for institutions if they're healthy institutions. Because I am a firm believer that healthy institutions become movements. Mm-hmm. They, 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 a movement becomes an institution, right? So healthy movements right. become institutions. Healthy institutions start new movements. And so right now, the institutional church is, is, has a great opportunity for experimentation. I mean, we have, I mean, it's, we're already what a month into this three weeks into this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Austin is locked down till May. They're thinking June, maybe even mid June before they even release the shelter in place. So that means we have at least two and a half, three months to just experiment. If we could shift some energy towards equipping and mobilizing people to think and to contextualize 
our, our, our rhythms that we have. So churches that are listening to this, that you already have some established missional rhythms, mm-hmm. what would it look like if you were to take, tell your people and say, okay, we do bells or we do light or we do bless or whatever you've created yeah. and begin to contextualize and ask the question, how do we bless people in this time? What does it mm-hmm. look like to eat? What does food look like during this time? And so thinking through, experimenting what this looks like, the thing that excites me is that when this is done and there is a a lifting of these kind of bands on gathering, um, the church is going to be far better equipped to be mobilized and to be on mission where if we're connecting with people who are not yet followers of Jesus and who aren't a part of churches, if we can, if we can be, you see our houses and our neighborhoods and our communities and our little circles that we're creating where we're stuck mm-hmm. as little circles or vortexes where people can be caught up into this idea of restoration, caught up into this idea of wholeness, caught up into this idea of putting the world back together. Mm-hmm. Um, man, so many new little expressions of the church can be started. So that's, that excites me. And, and having those conversations with pastors, uh, is that's the only thing that's been sustaining me over the last few weeks. Uh, now, everyone I talk to is like, can we just get through Easter? Which yeah. I get I get that. Well, I, and I, that's where I am right now, too. It's like I want to lean into this stuff, but it's like, man, I, you know, I work in the worship department at our church also, and so it's like, man, we just got to get through Easter. You know? Yeah. Yeah. i tell you one of the things that, I'm excited about it. You guys have both hinted on it, but when this thing is done and like you said, Roland, people are coming out of their neighborhoods. Um, we, we had already seen the movement towards much more geographically based um, thinking, you know, like uh, America in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, it was all like, Hey, I, I live here, but I work 20 minutes away over there. And then I play 20 minutes away over there. Mm-hmm. But we were just a very mobile culture. Well, there had been that move away from that. Some of the move was back towards city, right? And people like, I want to walk. Yeah. I want to be able to walk my neighborhood. I want to be able to, you know, I, uh, you know, th- we have people in our community whose whose whole life is really six blocks. They work, uh, worship, and live all within six blocks. Hmm. Um, and so it is. It's much more geographically based, and that's kind of what I'm. I'm excited about it. It's almost like God just sent us all to our rooms and said, what if I really meant love your neighbor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just go get to know who your neighbors are and go take care of them. Don't worry about everything else right now. Um, just who, who's around you. Um, now this obviously looks different in the city, in the suburbs and the rural parts of town. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, America is a very diverse place, so it does look different, but I do love uh, the movement towards geography and what this is going to mean for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people are hungry for this. I mean, just even in my own neighborhood, uh, using, in, utilizing Nextdoor app and our, our, our community, um, we're, we're blessed. We already had a Facebook group, but so it's got, you know, we have 800 homes in our neighborhood and, um, there's probably 400 people on that site on that little, that group, Facebook group. And, Um, you know, I've just been utilizing it just to kind of throw out things. Just, you know, we did a virtual happy hour and, um, basically utilizing some of Gareth Higgins, uh, reflection discussion questions on what's bringing you life, what's taking life away from you, what needs that you have, or what can you give someone? And, and so man, our people, our neighborhood's just eating it up. And I had even, I'd made a post earlier today, just, you know, saying, Hey, if, 
you know, th- things are tough and things are looking grim. And in Austin, you know, <laughs> we don't do well with when it's not sunny. And so we're, it's such a sunshine <laughs> city and, you know, with our bike and hike trails and all that. So it's, it's just a gloomy day anyway. So you can just get a feeling that people are just blue. You just feel it. And so just reaching out and saying, Hey, you know, there, there are people here who would love to process with you, you know, yeah. and, and talk through those things. And, um, man, just the response of like, just simple responses of that's beautiful. And thank you. And, um, I think people are so desperate and it doesn't require a theological degree or background or, you know, ordination. It's, it's just God's people. And so reaching out and having conversations, uh, just to listen, listen well, it's, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the other, um, things that we're going to talk to Brad about, uh, in particular, um, is this area of bivocational church planting or, he likes to term co-vocational church planning, which we'll let him kind of describe that in more detail. But um, Terry, I know that you've, you've had some experience in this world um, as I have, like what, you know, what are, what are some of the positives or challenges or whatever that you've experienced um, kind of working in that world? Yeah. The, the challenges, um, are, in my opinion, are, are few and far between. Um, early on, it was tough. Um, I've been doing bivocational, trivocational, quadvocational <laughs> <laughs> for the last 11 years. And so it that's, has. That's been, called several side hustles. That's what we try right. side hustles. Yeah. yeah. Like I even have a book, 100 Side Hustles. And it's actually yeah. a really good book. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it gives me a lot of freedom. And someone who um, loves to acquire um, wisdom and knowledge and resources, it's, it's fantastic. The downside um, is that security sometimes can be a little risky because you are, you're, you're, and it, it, it's, it's both, right? You, you, and as pastors, we know if, if your security is linked to one organization, that one organization has a bad year, you could get yeah. cut. So that, that is risky in of itself. And so that risk just exists anymore. Right. But, you know, the, the side hustle streams can sometimes dry up and uh, different organizations. And so, uh, but one of the things that I, I absolutely love about it is the freedom to interact and connect with a wide variety of people. It, 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 my networking is, it's, it's insane. The people that I get to hang out with and connect with just because I'm, I'm bringing a different hat to the table. The downside, uh, and this mainly is a downside just for me personally as a six on the Enneagram is that, uh, I'm a loyalist. And so I, I often sometimes suffer with where do I put my loyalty? Like, if I've got three or four organizations, right now I've got four organizations that I'm technically, um, you know, working for. So Neighborhood yeah. Church Collective, Life Church, Strategic Church Solutions, and Forge America. And problem is, seventy five percent of those have the word church in them. <sighs> yes, um, <laughs> only two, only one of them is an actual church. The other three just work with churches. Um, and the, the, the problem is, is where do I put my loyalty? You know, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm my, everything inside me wants to say, 
this is my thing that everything flows from uh, when I have to take a step back and say, no, uh, I've, I've got to give attention to all these different areas, yeah. whether it's church planning gig where I'm helping church planners figure out their thing and doing coaching and training there. Or if I'm working with missional expressions and helping fresh expressions of the church kind of emerge or I'm working with a, a, a large size church and helping them think through, you know, missional architecture and all the things that they're doing in their church, trying to, to move forward and mobilize their people. Right. And then of course, Ford, which Ford is, it's, it's our heart, right? I mean, Ford yeah, yeah, yeah. it's one. So that's the default. But um, so the, one of the ways that I go about doing, working around that is uh, I think of a, uh, you ever, you ever seen like the prize bucket, um, like at a car- really like shady carnival where it's just a box and it's got holes. And <laughs> I don't just- go to shady carnivals, man. <laughs> where you just, di- you just put your hand in, in one of those things, like just dig in and get a prize. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's and a, it's it like, must be a Texas thing. It must be because it's like, Oh, if you, if you do this, you get out of this hole, this hole and this hole. And when you just basically what you don't realize is when you dig your, when you dig down in, it's one big bucket underneath. <laughs> So it's three holes with three different prizes, but it's all the same thing. Yeah. And so for me, the way that I work around this, and this is helpful for co-vocational uh, leaders, is taking that mindset and say, yes, this this bucket, this bucket, and this bucket are three unique, or two buckets, or how many buckets you have are two unique expressions, but underneath it, it's just the kingdom. It's yeah. always the kingdom. Yeah. So whatever bucket I'm pouring my time into and reaching in, at the end of the day, it's just it's just the kingdom. And that has been that's been the number one thing to help me do this for eleven years. And like even looking forward, where it's like, I don't know if I want to just work in one place. Yeah. Uh, I love the freedom of being able to have and take different approaches at, at the kingdom from different ways. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I think that's what like Brad and, um, well, and our, our buddy Hugh Halter. And I saw today that Hugh posted that he just got a position at, at, at uh, Northern, Northern, Seminary. Yeah. Northern Seminary where he's going to teach, you know, plant, basically planting mission through a workplace. Um, but that's what they're trying to teach is that no, 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 don't look at like your work as a way to fund your fun in ministry, uh, they all work together. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, that was like a huge, um, kind of paradigm shift for me, even though, even though from a, um, a missional knowledge position, like I'd gone through seminary and I knew all this stuff about mission and, and I believed Covo before Brad every, even started talking about Covo. Um, but when I left a multi-site church and launched a coffee shop and planted a missional community in the coffee shop, and then now I also have a foot in a large church context as a missional architect, um, understanding and living in both of those worlds simultaneously, I started understanding, Oh yeah, it's all the kingdom. And in actuality, you know, people, people kind of ask me, you know, so like, it seems like a lot to do. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you go from holding one ball to juggling three or four balls. Um, it is a lot to do, but, um, and they, you know, people ask me, well, is it worth it or can you afford it or whatever? And I'm like, well, you know, it's almost like, you know, you get paid one place um, financially and it's stability and you give to it and it's, it's part of your community. But then the 
like having the coffee shop really doesn't pay us a lot, except it pays us in stories, you know, and we are kind of known as people that curate community in this area of Colorado Springs. And so, especially in this time with the coronavirus, I mean, we're getting just all kinds of support and encouragement and man, we don't want to see all go away. So it kind of makes you realize, Oh yeah, that's why I started this place. It wasn't to get rich, you know? Um, and so I think the beauty of co-vocational living is that you, you know, you keep yourself planted outside kind of the walls of ministry and you get to hear, hear and feel and get the pulse of, society and culture. Um, but then you're also doing direct ministry, you know, which, um, you know, which is also good and you're calling people to that as well. So, um, Alan, any, any Covo stories of your own, or I know you work at crossings. Have you, um, you know, and this like, I'm not trying to like put you down or anything. It's like, but have you, have you held some side hustles as well? So never did a side hustle while I was a pastor, but I will say this. I still remember uh, when I decided to go to Bible college, um, I remember telling my dad, like, hey, I'm going to go do this ministry thing and I'm going to go to Bible college. And he's like, hey, that's great. What if we go check out my university that I graduated from, Ohio University? Let's go up there and go check that out. And, And I remember him telling me, you know, it might be good for you to go get another degree first and then go do this pastor thing. And I was like whatever, old man, I'm going to go work for the Lord. I'm going to go do this yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm not even, and just like every other pastor in probably all of the United States, especially now going, dang it, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> I wish yeah. I'd gotten another degree in something else and had some work experience outside of just the church or just a theological degree. No, I appreciate, you know, um, the education I got. I appreciate all those things, but sure. There is definitely, uh, as, you know, lately there's definitely that, oh man, what would it be like to, to be out there? And I, I was in the workforce, you know, through college, uh, did a lot of that stuff, but never, um, never did. Once I got into, you know, being a pastor full time, that was, that was yeah. it. That was the job. Well, and I think, I, I think some women and men are kind of called that way. You know, it's like immediately right out of high school or whatever. They just kind of know this, this is what I'm called to do. This is where I'm going to dig in is in ministry of some kind. And, and I think that's fine. You know, I just, I think the, the healthy shift that Brad's trying to help people make and Hugh and others and that we're, we're kind of talking about is the cookie cutter approach of if I want to be called, if I feel like I'm called to be a pastor of some kind, that there's some kind of cookie cutter approach to that, which is I've got to go get my MDiv and I got to go to seminary. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then I have to have, you know, a church building and a full-time position and all that. So we're just trying to redefine um, the calling of ministry to something that's not exclusive, right? Of, mm-hmm. of people that are just called to do that a hundred percent of the time. I know I was um, recently talking to Lynn Tang and we're hoping to get him on a podcast here soon, but Lynn's over the church planting training and cohorts and stuff at Fuller Seminary. And he also is a pastor of a missional community in Pasadena, but I was asking him what kind of people he is seeing come through Fuller's church planting certificate program. And it's not a, it's not like an MDiv or anything. They can just 
take some, you know, it's kind of a quick cohort type training thing and they get a certificate at the end of it. And he said, most of the people that are coming through there now are actually wanting to plant incarnational missional type communities as opposed to, you know, they don't have their eyes on some big building, you know, with huge worship and thousands of people that they really are starting to um, lock into wanting something smaller, neighborhood focused, incarnational present, you know, in their city, which is for me, I think that's good news. I think it's, I think it's healthy, but that's what he's seeing, you know, come through there. So those will be a lot of Covo and Bavo type people, you know, that do that. So, well, hey, that maybe that's a good jumping off point. We will um, let's listen to uh, Brad Briscoe and uh, interview that Terry and I got to do with him a discussion around this. And Brad's a great guy, great conversationalist, really smart uh, thinker. So I think you will enjoy this interview. So let's listen to Brad Briscoe. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, hey, Brad Briscoe. Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, good yeah. friend of ours at Forge and on our board uh, from Florida now, right? Instead of Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. We, we uh, were in Kansas City for a very, very long time, but about six months ago, we moved to the St. Pete kind of Tampa area. Well, I can't believe you left Kansas City barbecue and beer for Florida. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm getting old enough now that, uh, I, I was getting tired of the winters and last winter yeah. we had a, we had a pretty brutal winter. And I think that was kind of the last, uh, kind of the nail in the coffin. It's like, it's time to move to a warmer location. Yeah, I get it. Um, well, we want, we want to get into like some of the stuff you've been really writing about a lot in eBooks and, and traveling around, uh, equipping others, uh, with bivocational, co-vocational thinking, um, but just real quick, I mean, I think your move was pretty interesting. We don't have to dive deep into it, but um, part of your move was kind of exploring missional practice again, right? Like, I mean, you're you're a missional practice trainer, and it, it was kind of to get in touch with uh, some other practitioners in Tampa and and just kind of dive into that, right? Yeah, I mean, part of the kind of the ministry motivation for us. Uh, and uh, you guys are very familiar with uh, a church here called the Tampa underground, which is really a, a network of micro churches all over the Tampa area. And over the last several years, just like you guys just had the opportunity to, to get to know some of the leaders at the underground. And, and the more time we spent there and the more time we spent with some of the micro church leaders, uh, just the more impressed I was with who they are, just how they operate. They're just some of the most sacrificial missionary minded people I've ever met. And finally, about a year ago, we just decided we needed to move here. A lot of times I'll say I, I wanted to be in a better position to tell their story back into the tribe that I'm a part of, because I just think it's a beautiful expression of what this whole missional incarnational uh, conversation could look like uh, in, in, in a kind of a fresh expression of church. And, and the other thing I love about the underground, not only just who they are and what they do, but they've been doing it for a long time now. I mean, they've been at it for many years and I just think they have a, a beautiful story to tell. Yeah, we did. We, uh, we recently had Brian Sanders on the podcast and got to, uh, zoom call with him in Dublin, Ireland. Um, but talk about, 
um, ecclesiology and um, being innovative and uh, being small, you know, his, his latest book. And uh, so it was incredibly interesting just kind of hearing his thought process on um, where he sees the church, where it needs to go. You know, that um, one of the things that he said that was really, really interesting, I'd love your thoughts on too, um, is he's kind of looking for this, this Goldilocks size of the church in that, um, you know, he kind of is fascinated with, with that maybe there's a perfect size maybe or range for a church to be, you know, we've seen churches that are really, really big and they, um, you know, they garner um, some benefits from that, like resources and things like that. And the churches that are really, really small and they get taxed uh, to death, the leaders do. Um, so any thoughts on kind of ecclesiology as you've kind of traveled around the country and worked with other churches? Well, I think, uh, Roland, you know, I think, and I know you said you interviewed Brian, but also I think he talks a little bit about that in that microchurches book that he wrote a few months ago. And I can't remember for sure, but I think, you know, his experience of working with microchurches over the last, you know, 15, almost 20 years, I think he kind of talks about like 25 to 40, maybe. I don't remember if there was kind of a yeah. number, but, you know, I think there's a couple of things. One, I'm, I'm reminded of Mike Breen's little phrase from many years ago. He would say, he would, when he was talking about missional communities, he would say small enough to care, but large enough to dare. So it was like, do they have the, the resources and kind of the moxie to engage in mission? Uh, but then also, are they small enough to really know each other and live out biblical community? So I do think there's something to that. Um, but also, you know, the part that I love about the underground that, that might kind of reflect on size is the fact that all of their microchurches, uh, you know, the, truly the organizing principle is mission. So all of their microchurches, it starts with a mission. And then, you, you know, more genuine, I would say more genuine community discipleship kind of flows out of that missional engagement. So I think it probably that size of kind of like the perfect microchurch, you know, somewhat would probably be dependent on the mission that they're engaged in. Is the sure. mission big enough that you might actually need 30, 40, 50 people to engage in it? Right. Or is it a type of mission like a neighborhood that you're trying to engage that, that maybe 12 or 15, it, you know, is, is a good number to reach that neighborhood. But, but I do agree with Brian a hundred percent that small certainly provides greater creativity and innovation. And that was the other thing about the underground that just fascinates me is the creativity of these microchurches is just off the charts. I mean, whenever you start with mission, the, the innovation that takes place there around kind of what that the expression of church looks like is is just amazing and very exciting to me because I think we've got to think much greater uh, you know levels of innovation and creativity moving forward hey Brad when you I know you work with a lot of church planners around the country and I'm curious just in your experience with working people working with planters and leaders outside of the underground uh, how often is mission missed um, it's because it seems like it's a crucial piece and, you know, obviously in Forge, we're a little biased towards it, but just your experience in working with people and, and these leaders, what, what, I mean, what would you say to some of that? Yeah, I would say it's getting better. I think, Terry, I mean, historically, there's just no doubt because we started with ecclesiology, uh, we just miss missiology often. And it's just, 
it was just kind of the nature of the beast because everything that we did, we would in church planning circles, we would always start with church. We'd always start with the form and function of church. And when we do that, I think it's just easy for mission to take a back seat. But, but I am encouraged. I mean, the more time I spend with planters really out in the field, I just, I hear more and more that planters are starting with missionary behaviors and activities and they're not starting with church. It's still though, I mean, the default is that, and I still think the vast majority, you know, the gravitational pull is to start with church, but there are, I'm just encouraged. I mean, I think there are more and more church planters today because we, you know, we're living in an increasing missionary context. More and more church planters are, are beginning to think more like missionaries. So, you know, a little phrase I use all the time is just to say that we have to help church planters think less like pastors starting a, a Sunday morning worship service and more like a missionary engaging the context. And, and I do think that's happening more and more. Um, it's still probably, I mean, if we're honest, it's still probably the minority, Yeah. but it's certainly happening more today than it did, you know, even five years ago, I, I would like to think. Do you, do you think that some of that is, uh, comes from... Um, you know, when a planter gets ready, let's say they go through a church planting cohort or training, or they come at us, come at a seminary, um, and all of a sudden they engage the metrics that they have to hit in order to plant a Sunday service. In other words, they have to raise X amount of dollars. They've got to find, you know, um, a worship leader and a children's person and a middle school to meet in. And they've got to buy this many chairs and this many <laughs> curtains and screens and projectors that that just becomes this daunting um, hurdle to get over. I mean, are you seeing that or are you seeing a true kind of heart shift? Like I really don't want to set up this thing where I have to teach every Sunday and run this organization. Yeah, Roland, I, I think, uh, I, you know, kind of the obvious answer for me, I think, is it's, a, it's some of both. And, you know, sometimes the way I'll frame that is I'll see uh, church planters kind of enter into a new way of thinking from one of two directions. They either in, in, enter into it from what I might call a crisis of influence. And what I mean by that is they just realize that all that stuff that seemed to work in the past just doesn't work like it used to. So doing all the things that you just mentioned you know, gearing up for the Sunday morning launch large kind of approach. They're just seeing with all their other people, you know, buddies that are planting that it's just, it just doesn't kind of like quote unquote work like it used to work. So they know there's got to be a, a different approach. But then at the same time, I see some other people enter into it from what I might call a crisis of mission. In other words, uh, they just have kind of like a check in their spirit that they, they know that's, that's not what it's all about. Right. They, they, they know from the get-go they want to do something other than just starting a Sunday morning worship service. And, and, and again, I think, you know, this is a generalization, but I think more and more younger church planters have that kind of mentality or starting point. So there's more younger church planters that just realize that they're not going to reach lost people by just simply starting a Sunday morning worship service. Hmm. So they know that they have to begin to think and act more like a missionary. Um, so once again, I think there's more and more of that taking place, that there's actually, you know, that, that planters are starting in a different place because they're thinking more like a missionary. So there's, there's a missiological motivation rather than just a pragmatic one. Right, right. That's a, that's a good transition to, uh, um, to getting into something I know that is a big heartbeat of yours because as 
as planters um, engage their context and they're starting to think about how, you know, how can I carry out ministry in the area that God's called me? Um, you're, you're a big proponent of not just becoming a professional pastor um, or that a good way to become a professional pastor, would it be, could I say, is to um, not have all of your eggs in the church basket, but also have um, a job or something you're doing in the community. And, and you've kind of coined or helped coin this term kind of co-vocational. Can you kind of get us into that? Because I think everyone's used to hearing bivocational pastors, uh, but this is a little bit of a redefinition, a little bit of a paradigm shift to a new new way of thinking about it. Yeah, so I just think, you know, the conversation we just had here the last couple of minutes about uh, thinking differently about church planting and, and just thinking differently about mission. You know, a little, you know, a phrase that we've all used in, in the Ford tribe is, is that we, we need to activate all the people of God. And I think to go at truly activating all the people of God in the church, part of that is we have to rethink vocation. So we need to help people understand that we need to blow up this sacred secular divide relating to vocation that some callings aren't sacred and other callings are secular, that if God reigns over all things, which of course he does, then all things are sacred. So I think it starts by helping people rethink their calling in the marketplace, that they don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to be in full-time ministry, that regardless of what God's called them to do in the marketplace, they can be in full-time ministry. And we need to help them see how does their calling or vocation in the workplace contribute to and participate in God's mission. So for me, that's kind of the starting point to rethink church planting around even bivocational and co-vocational. So, uh, you know, so here's a little nuance for me about the different, the language. I just feel like um, that we have a very biased narrative around bivocational pastors and bivocational church planters. And what I mean by that, is, I mean, I, and I, I've talked just this year, I've probably talked to a hundred, maybe more bivocational church planters. And every single one of them hear these little whispers in their ear that they're not legit. And, you know, and people want to know, it's almost like they feel like a second class pastor. Okay. You know, people want to know, when are you going to get a full-time gig? Or when's the church <laughs> going to grow big enough to pay you a full-time salary? And so Whenever I moved into this new role about three years ago um, as director of bivocational church planning, I just knew that one of the things I wanted to focus a time and attention on is trying to change that bias narrative. And I think one of the ways to change the narrative is to talk about the benefits of bivocational church planning. And I think there are enormous missiological benefits, financial benefits, shared leadership benefits, all of that. But I also thought another way to kind of change the narrative is that we needed to use some different language. So a couple of years ago, we started using this language of co-vocation. So I still use the language of bivocational and co-vocational, but here's the little nuance for me, is that a bivo church planter or a bivo pastor is someone that has a part-time job in the marketplace that they see somewhat as temporary. So in other words, their hope or their dream or aspiration is that eventually the church grows to a point to where they can leave their part-time job and focus full-time on the church. So, you know, historically it's the apostle Paul in Acts 18, the tent maker. And I would just say, Hey, thumbs up. There's nothing wrong with that. All good. But the, but I think sometimes that language of bivocational actually gets in the way of what we want to see accomplished because here's the way I'll explain it sometimes is if you've ever heard the word bifurcate to bifurcate means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. 
Well, I think that's what we do sometimes when we think of bivocational ministry is that we have pastors and planters that do ministry over here so they can do, you know, they work over here so they can do ministry over here. Right. So in other words, they compartmentalize or they separate their calling in the marketplace and their calling for church work. Well, that's when I started thinking, well, you know what, we need some, we need additional language that focuses more on their, their primary vocation. So why BIVO is a temporary, you know, they see it as temporary. The mm-hmm. way I kind of frame COVO is uh, co-vocational is, is a leader that has a primary calling in the marketplace that they never intend to lead. So in other words, they know God's called them to be a school teacher or a research scientist or a doctor or a web, de- what, a web designer, whatever it might be. But at the same time, they feel like God's calling them to start something. So that little word co-vocational, the prefix co comes from the prefix com, which means to have in common. So I, I want to help guys and gals understand how, how do you take your primary calling in the marketplace and align it with the calling to start something? So, so I still use both Bivo and Covo. And I guess my, my hope is that as we highlight the benefits, the missiological and financial benefits of bivocational, that they'll actually become more and more Bivo planters that become Covo planters. So in other words, even when the church gets to a point where it could support them full time, they just see that there's just too many benefits of them being in the marketplace. So they stay there. So in a sense, they actually become co-vocational. So, you know, and, and then how that kind of relates back to our conversation about the underground is that all of those microchurches, the 220, 230 microchurches throughout the Tampa area, they're all led by Bivo-Covo leaders. So I just think there's a good connection there between Bivo-Covo and, and new expressions of church because you don't need to have a fully funded church planter to, uh, you know, to, to start microchurches. So that's kind of my little bit of nuance there. Yeah. That's so exciting. You know, as, as even my work with church planters, you know, trying to help people differentiate between the two, those two ideas. And so um, the thing that really excites me is, and you even mentioned this earlier, is this, this wave of young entrepreneurial church planters. And so can you speak a little bit to the importance of uh, kind of a fresh approach to innovation in church planting? Because when we said innovate church planting 20 years ago, it was, okay, what, what level do we dim the lights? What kind of music do we do? How many candles do we light? Exactly. (laughs) So this is a whole new type of innovation. So can you speak a little bit to that? And then also maybe a couple examples where you're seeing some guys and, and gals plant where what these co-voc- how these co-vocational roles are really kind of bridging both their work and the ministry? Yeah, so that's a great question, Terry. So I actually see kind of like three categories. Of course, there's Bivo, there's Covo, and then there's Marketplace Strategies, or sometimes I'll call it Mission 4 or Business 4 Mission. So in other words... Um, you know, we, we have people, I, and really when it comes to co-vocational examples, I think you could name just about any calling in the marketplace, and I could tell you someone in the country that's planted church. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a fireman to a police officer, highway patrolman, research scientist, an anesthesiologist, a bus driver, school teachers. I tell you, one of my favorite stories is a dude in uh, D.C. He's, a, he's actually a federal CIA agent. And he planted a church six years ago. I mean, they just runs the gamut. And it's so exciting. Realtors, you know, property managers, just all kinds of things. 
But then as you bring up, there's, for me, there's kind of actually a third category and it's this kind of like entrepreneur that start, that just likes to start things. And then, so they're starting business ventures and planting a church out of that. Uh, one of my favorite examples is a guy in Portland, Anton Farrow started a CrossFit gym and he's just killing it both with the CrossFit gym and the church plant that actually meets in that space. Um, there's a guy in Boca Raton, Florida is doing the same thing. There's people with co-working spaces and, uh, you know, our friend Hugh Halter in Alton opened a coffee shop, you know, in that huge downtown stone building that used to be the post office in downtown Alton. And there's lots and lots of coffee shop, you know, people opening coffee shops or roasteries. Um, so yeah, that's really exciting to me. You know, I think that will always be a, a fairly small sliver because not everyone is gifted at, you know, starting new business ventures, but, but it is, it's just amazingly exciting and amazingly creative. I think we're, you know, the largest block of people are really co-vocational. It's the, you know, it's the 90 or 95% of the people sitting in church pews that are doing something already in the marketplace. And they didn't know it was an option that they could actually be a school teacher and start something new. So I say all the time that my new role, this role that I'm in, it's, it's about rethinking vocation, as I said a couple of minutes ago, but secondly, it's about rethinking church planting. So we have to have, you know, if you're working 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week in the marketplace, you can't plan a church like we've always planted churches with a, you know, as you kind of described it, Roland, as, you know, worship leader and sound, you know, big sound system and banners and launch large Sunday morning sort of thing, big place to rent and all of that. We just can't do that um, if we're, if, you know, if we've got a full-time job in the marketplace. Are you, are you finding, um, you know, resistance at all? Like as you, in your role with uh, NAMB, as you're engaging a church, let's say, and you're trying to help them also see that the people in the pews are actually their church planters. It's like, it's not this, specific group of missionaries that are called to church planting, but that every person in the pew uh, theoretically can covo a church, house church, workplace, whatever, out of their church. Is that, um, is that something that's resistant? Well, to- no, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't say resistant. Now there are in some, in church planting circles, there are, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll come across somebody that still thinks it's best if a planter is fully funded. I mean, I had a conversation just last week with a church planting leader and, you know, he said to me, well, if, if a guy could be fully funded, why, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we fund him fully so he could focus on the church full time? And, you know, we had some really good conversation about just access to a mission field that you wouldn't have otherwise if he's got a job in the marketplace and then how the financial stability piece, you could have a much, much longer runway, you know, rather than you've got to get everything up and off the ground within two to three years before funding runs out. Um, but no, I think, you know, I don't know. Most of the conversations I have with, with leaders in existing churches, um, they do, I think most of them want to figure out how to activate the people in their church. Now, sometimes there are still some leaders that they want to activate them for ministry inside the church, you know, rather than mission outside the church. But most of the leaders I talk to, they, you know, they, they recognize that, no, we, we need to help engage, help people engage in mission better than we've done in the past. Uh, Now seeing them as church planters. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's still probably not the majority. Um, but there are more and more churches that are beginning to recognize that they really need to be about multiplication. I mean, they really need to, they need to raise up 
leaders from within and, and try to send them out to start things. So I think, you know, again, it's still minority, uh, no doubt, but I, I think there is some, some momentum there. Hey, Brad, um, someone may be listening right now and thinking, you know, they, you, something may be percolating with them as they're thinking about co-vocational planting or, or starting something like this. Can you speak to the implications of what, what church planting looks like for a co-vocational minister, like some of those things? Yeah, so I just think, as we kind of said earlier, uh, it just has to start with missionary behaviors and activities. So, and whenever I say missionary behaviors and activities, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the things that all of us, you know, talk about within the Forge tribe that, you know, it's about engaging our neighborhoods, our workplaces, social spaces that we inhabit. It's about sharing meals. It's about rethinking, you know, discipleship and evangelism a little differently. It's just about, you know, participating in God's mission, being becoming great listeners and observers. And then it's starting to kind of cultivate community, kind of creating space to welcome people into to actually begin to cultivate biblical community before it's any kind of church thing. So, you know, um, one, if someone is interested, you know, it certainly isn't the, the only resource. There's lots of resources. There's lots of really great forge resources, but, but one that someone could check out because and the reason I mentioned it is because it's free is the co-vocational church planning book that I did a few months ago. It's just a free download. If someone were just to Google co-vocational church planting, uh, it, it'd take you to a landing page where you could download that ebook in e- either English or Spanish. But in that book, there's one particular chapter that I just call Missionary Flow. So take that from Hughes, one of Hughes uh, and Matt Smay's book, and, and I just kind of tried to flesh it out a little bit more, is I think that Missionary Flow gives people just a different imagination for what it might look like to start a church. So rather than starting with Sunday morning worship service, just starting with missionary behaviors, and then how do you begin to create what we call social momentum by connecting people together relationally before you ever think about actually like officially starting a church? So, yeah, I just think, and Terry, also, I just think it's a, we just have to have a much longer runway kind of perspective that it's very relational. It's very pre-conversion, post-conversion discipling relationships. Um, and, and frankly, it's just more natural, <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I think we would all say, and also much more life-giving, uh, it's doing life with people and then um, inviting them into doing life alongside and with you as well. Yeah. And I would also recommend uh, another free book that you created that uh, it's actually one of my favorite resources, uh, probably in the last decade, uh, Rethink. Um, and so even before you, you think about some of these things, you really have done a great job of breaking down some paradigm shifts that people really need to, just like the title suggests, you have to rethink uh, how we approach some of these things. And so uh, where, where can they find that? What are some key Google words to get? Yeah. To so again, if you resource? just Googled rethink ebook, it would, it would take you to a landing page. And, and again, that's in both English and Spanish as well. And it's just, it's a super simple, it's really just kind of an introduction to each of those paradigm shifts. So yeah, as you know, Terry, it's only about a hundred pages, but super accessible. But yeah, I do think it's church planters, but also for existing churches, there are some key kind of paradigm shifts and some things that, that, you know, we may need to unlearn and relearn before we actually engage in mission differently. We, we need to, we need to kind of ask some why questions. So that's, that's the reason why, yeah, I kind of put that rethink ebook together. Yeah. That's great, Brad. Um, so maybe last, uh, last thing here. Um, and let me preface it with a little story. I, 
a few weeks ago, I had a young couple that is uh, church planting in Denver, North Denver, and um, they contacted me via email and asked to come down and have lunch. And so we met and had lunch and they had gone through uh, an organization's church planting uh, pathway to kind of train them and were about ready to graduate that and plant a church. And they were feeling attention just naturally. And I think it's what you've been speaking to. Uh, do we really want to do it this way, the way they're telling us to do it? Um, they had been approached by a donor who said, if you're going to start a Sunday morning service, um, kind of blessings to you. But if you will lean into uh, foster care, which is this big heartbeat that they have in their life to support foster parents in some way, then I'll, I'll give you a bunch of money to help start this thing. And so they're actually, they were actually getting pushed on the donor side toward uh, starting with a co-vocational missional platform, um, which really excited them. So my, my question would be, um, we're going to have people listening to this that are getting, are probably feeling pulled uh, both ways. And um, what, what would you, I mean, you've sat with these people, uh, church planners, got gals and guys, and uh, what would you say to them as they're exploring, how do I do this thing that God has called me to? Like what, what's, what's the next step to figure out the fabric of what um, God is calling them to do? Well, gosh, that's a great question, Roland. Um, I just, I think first off, uh, recognize that whatever your calling is in the marketplace, it's not only legit, it's necessary. And don't, regardless if people tell you, if, you, if you're interested in starting a plant, to church plan. Some people may tell you, you need to leave what you're doing in the marketplace so you can focus full time on the church. Uh, I would just say, uh, push against that as much as you possibly can. I, you know, I think you, both of you guys probably know a little bit of my story that many years ago, I was in the restaurant business with my brother for 13 years and we both became believers. And in the midst of that, I felt like I wanted to kind of go into ministry. I thought I wanted to be a professor and every single conversation I had with someone in the church, I mean, every single conversation, everyone told us that we needed to sell that secular business. And if I was serious about ministry, we need to sell the business and I needed to go to seminary. Well, today, almost every week, if not at least every other week, I talk to somebody that's in the marketplace or they're a business owner and they want to go into ministry and people are telling the same thing. Yeah. And, and they know it's not right. I mean, I've had people say, and they've heard me talk about Bivocovo stuff, and, you know, they didn't need me to tell them. They just needed someone to encourage what was already in their heart. They knew it wasn't right. right. They knew that God called and wired them to do something in the marketplace, and they loved it, and they, and they knew there was a reason they were there, but they also wanted to start something. So I would just say, just, just be encouraged that what God's called you to do in the marketplace is necessary. Work matters. Your work matters. Work is important. And we need to, you need to see that you are in many ways in full-time ministry. But then the second thing I would say as it relates to actual church planting, just do everything you possibly can to start with mission. Just ask before you think about any kind of like ecclesial minimals or, or, or what, uh, you know, what this kind of church might look like, just start with mission and ask, what is God calling you to do 
in regards to his redemptive purposes? What, what aspect, what is it? What's the heartbeat as you just talked about, you know, foster care being a heartbeat of this couple Roland is just ask, what is, what is that heartbeat for you? What, what aspect of God's mission is he calling you into? And then let, let mission be, you know, to use a phrase that, that Alan, I, I think Alan's the first time, the first one I heard say this, he said, mission is the mother of adaptive ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. So in other words, when we start with mission, there ought to be lots of wild and wonderful expressions of church. Yeah. But when we start with church, they'll all look the same. Right. <laughs> so I just think, and that's one of the reasons, you know, 99% of churches all look the same is because we start with church. But if we start with mission, there'll be lots of beautiful innovation and creativity that, that comes into play. Yeah. And in our discussion with Brian uh, Sanders, he, he actually, um, he kind of rejects even that, that word uh, church planting, right? And he likes to think of it as mission planting. And you start with mission instead of with church because it right. can get us off. Yeah, no, I think that's probably helpful. Yeah. Well, good. Well, man, thanks for, um, thanks for the time. Uh, thanks for serving Forge as well. And hey, oh, you got Brad, another question. Yes. I just got one more question for yeah. you before we leave. Uh, how does it feel knowing that you move from Kansas City and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? <laughs> how does that feel? Well, uh, I don't care. It was it was <laughs> it was glorious. But it's funny. Some of you, but you guys, I think you know Daniel Yang. Daniel Yang. He, whenever they won the Super Bowl, he texted me and said, "Hey, you had to move out of Kansas City for them to win." He said, uh, "The Tampa Bucks are on the clock." You know? Yeah, that's right. Now it's Tampa. Wait, I can't see that happening. No, yeah. I'll always, regardless that we live a very far, far away now, uh, I'll always be a huge Chiefs fan. And, and man, what a, an exciting, fun, um, just time that was and still is. Man, that was one of the best fourth quarters I've seen uh, in a long it was time. So much fun. Were, were you and John Rittner like texting back yeah. and forth? He did text me a bit during the game. <laughs> yeah. But man, I had lots of people text me after the game. I mean, yeah, it was fun. Love it. Yeah, we good. Well, hey, uh, blessings to you, and, hey, and we wish you well. You wish you well down in Florida, and uh, thanks, thanks for all you do for Forge and for the church. And um, what's what's the best way people could get hold of you if they wanted to do some consulting or or get hold of you for uh, co-vocational discussions? Yeah, oh, probably just go to my blog, you know, missionalchurchnetwork.com. Um, there's different resources there. In fact, we just moved it to a new platform, so we're still navigating or or moving some of the, the content over, but all my contact information is there on the blog. And then also, there's links there on the blog, too, where you can download those ebooks that we talked about. So it's at missionalchurchnetwork.com. Yeah, and then you can also um, we, you can find Brad on ForgeAmerica.com or by con- uh, contacting us because uh, he's part of our tribe. So anyway, well, thanks for your time right. Thank and you uh, wish you the best, man. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Hey, great uh, talk with Brad Briscoe and so appreciate him joining us. Um, and thanks for being with us today on Forge American Missional Podcast. As always, we would love for you to jump out to iTunes and subscribe and also give us a rating if you have a couple of minutes because it'll help other people find us and um, kind of push us to the top. We're always having missional conversations here, so um, be sure and subscribe and join us each week. And uh, Alan, Terry, it's great to be with you guys. And I know next week we will probably be sitting in side 
uh, protected and social distancing as usual, right? That's right. Exactly. Definitely. That's right. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. And thanks for joining us. Hey, take it easy. Are I going to put something pithy at the end too, Terry? No, no, it's good. Come on, say something. Goodbye, everybody. Ha, ha, ha.